You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. It's a quick turnaround for us, Shotgun. We were podcasting on Sunday. We're back again on Thursday. That's what happens with the bye week. You just you get more time to do more fun things. Well, if you say so. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? I don't know. It's just more time to catch up on work. It's true, which is fun. Maybe get more sleep. Not mm, sure. I try not to do that. I know you that do. Just ruins everything. <laughs> Before we get into a, a modified version of the Family Feud podcast, as a reminder, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast, familyfeudpod at gmail.com. And speaking of questions, we're going to be answering a lot of questions today. We got some Ooh. submissions from you guys, both on through email and on Twitter. So we'll be we'll be taking those questions. It'll be a fun time. Shotgun, how are you doing today? Um, I'm here. You're here. I know you hate that question. And I continue to ask you. Oh, anyway. Yeah, I don't know why you keep asking me that. Starting off, we don't have stock up, stock down, unfortunately, because we there's no game to look over. We already did that. I mean, we can go stock down on people that are injured. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's. let's start out. We're doing a little news segment here. USC is slightly banged up going into this Colorado game. Wednesday, uh, it was a pretty bad showing for USC's defense in the sense that uh, Brandon Peely came out. Couldn't finish practice. Was a little wobbly. He lost his toe. Uh, not his toe. That would be a wow. bigger development. He lost his toenail. His, the toenail on his big toe, his right big toe, because someone stepped on his on his t- uh, his foot. Apparently, it was bad enough. He left. He was carted off to get X-rays. Came back. I assume they were negative based on everything we've heard. Uh, he's wobbled around, but he. I don't know what his status is. We'll find out later today. Uh, and then J. Tufele still has not practiced this week due to a car accident that he was involved in over the bye week weekend. Uh, he's been running around, which makes me think that it is concussion protocol, which if that's the case, I don't think we'll see him on Saturday. Then Port Augustine, uh, Helton said yesterday on Wednesday that if uh, USC had played a game over the bye week, he wouldn't have been in the game. Now it's looking doubtful for Saturday when Dan Weber asked uh, Port Augustine if he's gonna if he's 100% healthy. He said, "Well, I'm 100% going to play on Saturday," which is a classic Porter answer. But Clay Helton said, "We'll have to see and evaluate." Now the question is with Porter: Do you push it? That's been the question his whole career. I feel like, do you push Port Augustine? Do you need him more for Colorado than you do for Utah? Where do you save him? Where do you push him? I mean, this is the thing where you have to trust the doctors, trust the player, uh, which is always a question mark with USC, trusting the doctors and trusting the player to, to have what is in the, the best interest of the team for the long run. Um, you know, poor Gustin's going to want to be out there if he can. Uh, so it, it's up to the doctors to say, you know, it's probably best that you wait an extra week before we try to get you back out there. And, you know, is that impingement going to, if it's going to keep popping out or, or what is exactly is going to happen with that? How are they going to be able to, to get it? Because the defense has been completely different when he's been on the field. He, he has been a, a difference maker for them. He's been probably their most crucial defender uh, that we haven't seen them without Cam Smith probably would have a similar drop off as they have uh, when Port Augustine has left the game, which Cam Smith is another guy yep. that has been banged up as well. You know, he's he's been nursing a hamstring injury. You know, it was something that, he, that bothered him during fall camp, and they made sure to take it slow and get him back, and he was good to go. Uh, you know, he missed 11, you know, was not fully full go for 11 practices during the fall camp, but he was ready to go for the season. Uh, but now he's missed a couple practices with that that hamstring. Uh, so the question marks there, if he's going to be good to go, I think you said yesterday that he, he left. He left. He was dressed out. He warmed up with the team. But then during team periods, he was just um, on the side stretching his hamstring. And then at one point, I think they just shut it down and he left the field with uh, ice on his right hamstring. And he this whole week, he's been on the bike um, during down periods, during special team periods, trying to keep that hammy loose. Um, but I feel like this is something that has probably been re-aggravated. Um, and with that, who do you replace him with? Uh, so far this week, we've seen Pali Ie Nayoteote out there. Um, but with Levi Jones out, um, who do you really place in there? Do you trust Pali Ie to play a whole game i don't know what you do with that i mean levi jones has also been a guy that's been out for a couple practices yeah. uh with, with illness uh, i think he missed last week as well yep um you, you've 
you go even farther down the depth chart, Raymond Scott, another middle linebacker who's got a you know got a, a club on his on his hand where he broke a finger. Uh, he didn't practice yesterday. He did practice on Tuesday. So the middle linebacker depth has seen some uh, has some concerns there with, with that group. Uh, I think that Palier and Itiote, you trusted him enough to start him off the edge when Porter wasn't ready. Now, granted, it wasn't. He wasn't out there full time. They mixed and matched a lot of guys in that Washington State game. But the fact that his second appearance uh, in college, you put him out there to start, I, I think that tells you that they trust him enough to, to be able to go in there. Now, is he, is he ready to make the calls, though? That's the big question with that middle yeah. linebacker spot. Uh, is John Houston, does John Houston take over those those responsibilities? How does that kind of work out if Cam Smith's not uh, available? I think he will be available to play. Uh, would be a big bombshell for USC if he's not because uh, of how important he's been in the middle of the defense how many more tackles he has than anybody else in this team he's just been uh, a rock in the middle of defense for him so they really need him against Colorado Uh, but yeah a lot of concerns injury wise with that defense you know with with potential starters missing there and then on the other side of the ball I mean Toa Lobendon misses yesterday with some back spasms and he's the you know he's the anchor in the middle of that that offensive line. So now you're you know you're worried about you know how your offensive line might play uh, if he's not available to go. You know he's he missed the first game of the season. Brett Nealon filled in you know perfectly well against UNLV. Might be a little bit different against Colorado though. Yeah, I mean Brett Nealon practiced pretty well on Wednesday. I thought every snap was pretty much dead center. I don't want to call out Toa, but is it really going to be that much of a drop-off if you put Brett Nealon in? I think the the issue isn't just the snapping. It's the making the calls and stuff. Yeah. I mean, Toa Lomadon is, is more experienced than anybody else in that line, and you know he's seen every defensive front that you could probably face. He's the son of a coach. You know He, he is a guy that, that knows all that. Uh, so then Brett Nealon's a, a guy that – Hasn't played a ton of football, actually. You know, he actually was in Japan for a while, you know, his his, uh, family. So he didn't start playing football, I don't think, until his eighth grade year, if I remember correctly. Um, So, you know, he just doesn't have the same experience as Toa in that regard. Not saying that he is not able to make the calls or anything like that. uh, But, you know, when you have a fifth-year senior, you know, that's the guys you're going to lean on and trust to, to be able to get you in the right spots. Now, with the snapping and stuff, I think Nealon's done a great job, and they trust him enough to put him in there as that fullback in the tight eye formation, as an H back in their Thor packages. You know, so I think he's the guy that's definitely going to be in their future. Yeah. But they don't want the future to be now. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> the future isn't now. Um, other news from uh, this past week. Bubba Bolden, that whole drama. I know everyone knows by now what happened. Uh, he's no longer enrolled with the university. Uh, that came out on Sunday. On Monday, Bubba confirmed that. Uh, he ha- he kind of explained that he got into a, a verbal, uh, what do you call it? Like a ber- verbal shouting? Not a shouting match. It was like bravado. Trash talk. I, trash talk. There we go. That's the phrase I was missing. Uh it's this whole deal. Help- mutual trash talk at a party. This yeah. is mutual trash talk at a party. Yeah, that sounds a lot better than what it probably was, though. We don't well, that's the whole thing. We don't know the full story. Helton won't comment on on it out of respect for Bubba, and that's just not a thing that Helton will comment on. Uh, the university obviously obviously isn't gonna say anything. So we only have Bubba's story to go off of, which is not a full picture that we can base opinions off of, so it's not very we can't really say much about it. Uh, but t- on Tuesday, Clay Helton wished Bubba the best, that he's a good kid and will have a good uh, career going forward. So I mean, USC safety depth is crazy. Yeah, according to Bubba, you know, it was the Student Judicial Committee. Um, S-Jax. Yeah, I, I guess, whatever they are. That's what they call it. Uh, so the, the they were the ones that determined his fate. You know, the, the Title IX office did not have anything to do with it. Now, this is, granted, this is his side of the story. Uh, so this is what he said happened. But uh, S-Jax would, would not comment on the situation, so uh, we do not get their side of the story, which is always the case. Always, oh, well, we're not going to comment on it. Well, well, now we don't know the story at all. Um, so we can just, it's pure hearsay in that regard, um, what we hear from other people. Um, so it's a delicate situation in that regard. He said that he was going to be suspended 28 months because the you know, someone in at the party felt threatened by him and they were going to graduate in 28 months basically is what was the decision for the timing of the suspension for him. So obviously with his football career, he is not going to wait around 28 months to come back to USC. Uh, so he's going to uh, transfer and try to play somewhere else. He's hoping to 
uh, he posted another update. I don't know if you saw it later in yeah. the week that he's looking for somewhere where he can enroll as a fall student this year uh, so that he can continue uh, to be eligible for the next year upcoming. Um, so he has to enroll in a program you know, pretty soon, actually. So we'll see him, you know, maybe a conclusion to this part of his story um, before too long, actually. So we might see him transfer somewhere else before in the next few weeks so he can be eligible next season. If you clicked on the comments for that tweet that Bubba uh, tweeted out, Ohio State fans were clamoring. They were like, if they could have been recruiting directors, he would have already been at the university. <laughs> and he does have, you know, good friend Tate Martell is at Ohio State as well, so that might be a possibility. You never know. Yeah, but it's an unfortunate situation all around. We don't have enough information to fully give our opinion on it, but as far as football goes, USC is... With the Achilles Ross and Bo Bolden, safety wise, it suddenly is took a tumble. Yeah, the it looked like you were gonna have good depth there. You have Isaiah Polamau also with the shoulder injury, and you know the second time he's injured the same shoulder. So now you start wondering: Is this gonna be a lingering issue? Is he gonna be able to come back from this full strength next year? So the safety position goes from a position of strength, and you're at Marvell Tell. You got Achilles Ross. You got two seniors there that you can trust. You got some young guys that are getting more playing time, and Bob Bolden and Isaiah Polamau. Now it's Okay, next year you're going to have possibly Isaiah Polamau back, but is the shoulder an issue for him going forward? And then you're going to have Talanoa Hufunga and C.J. Pollard. And it goes from all of a sudden it, you know, it was a position where, okay, we feel like we're good for the next three or four years at that spot to now we got to get some more guys in here because we just don't have any depth. If one guy gets hurt next year, suddenly we might have to move somebody positions just to get them playing time or just to get, fill that spot. And you've seen Chase Williams uh, take some reps at safety as well. But I think they got to go out and recruit this position a little bit differently now than they were planning to just because of the attrition that has happened at that position. Is this a situation where you, you try and find a Stevie T, someone who can kind of plug the gap immediately? That would be a great fit for him. If they could find a graduate transfer safety, that would probably be uh, really good, especially with the kind of the unknown with Isaiah Polamau's shoulder. Now, yeah. if he comes back and he's 100% healthy, then that's a position battle, and C.J. Pollard would be in that as well. But, you know, if you can find someone that's of quality that can transfer in as, as a fifth-year senior and give you one year to kind of to kind of bridge the gap, because a lot of recruiting is done, you know, the two years before, the three years before yeah. the actual signing day. So, you know, where is USC in position with some safeties? Uh, I haven't really looked recently at, you know, their safety recruiting to – to really give an opinion on that right now, but you know you would feel more comfortable, you know, having a little bit more time to kind of fill that hole if you could find a graduate transfer. But who knows if that will be the case? That's something that usually doesn't come out till later. But this year might be different with the you know the four game transfer window, and now we got like a we got a yeah. transfer trade deadline out there. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Other news: uh, this news is, is fresh off the presses a couple hours uh, last night on Wednesday night. Uh, Pac-12 ref scandal broke. Scandal. Uh, scandal. Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports uh, broke this story where uh, it was specifically involved USC, oddly enough. USC and Washington State. Amazing and, how that happens and, with Pac-12. USC is always in the news, I feel like. You can never escape it. Uh, it was basically about a targeting call that uh, Washington State linebacker Logan Tago, uh, he hit JT Daniels. JT Daniels kind of trying to take out knee it was a little awkward final play of the third quarter of that game usc kind of fumbles the snap and jt daniels goes down and just takes the knee because he's already down on the ground so he's a defenseless player and also he's a quarterback so that makes it even more so of an issue and tago comes in and not only delivers a hit but delivers a helmet to helmet hit that ends up should have got him thrown out of the game he gets thrown he gets called for a roughing the passer penalty but the play goes to review. The in-house referee that's in the stadium says, yeah, I think that's targeting. Send it back to the command center that's in, uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah, I think that's targeting. And yet somehow the play wasn't called targeting. Hmm. Yeah, so, that, so Pete broke the story that an untrained third party who ended up being um, Woody Dixon, who is the Pac-12's general counsel, and he's kind of – he's does a lot of odd jobs uh, but he was the untrained third party who said eh that's not that's not targeting and so thus the other the other rest were overruled and that wasn't a targeting call um which is crazy this whole story is crazy so the timing is also crazy because t uh thursday happens to be pac-12 media day for basketball and who speaks at pac-12 media day the commissioner mr larry scott and basically he didn't give 
any good answers. It was kind of a word jumble. Uh, basically, the only real answer we got out of him is that apparently Woody was just giving his opinion and the refs happened to just take it as fact and, and not give their own ruling, which I don't agree with. I don't think that's a good uh, response. Um, but this whole story is crazy. And I think part of the reason why it's crazy is it gives the Pac-12 no credibility. And Which already does, is struggling with credibility to begin with. Yes, of course. And I'm just so curious about the sourcing because obviously I don't think this came from uh, upper Pac-12 officials. This came from the the refing the official those officials because are they upset? Have they had to make so many calls like this before that they're fed up with be- taking the blame? Oh, Pac-12 refs, blah, blah blah, and they're like, hey, actually. We're being overruled by this guy who's untrained. So I'm very curious where this all stems from, the sourcing, but it's it's a crazy story. Yeah, and just putting it in the report and saying that, oh, a third, we agreed this, we agreed this, I, that's putting your job on the line because you say you are going out of your way to put it in a report that could eventually leak, which these do not normally leak out, but it, this one did come out. So, yeah. And now it's, where did this come from? Is it the same person maybe? you know, Because the Pac-12 refs have a, terrible reputation they have a reputation for being the worst in the country uh you know they there's more penalties called in pac-12 games than any other some of the penalties are ridiculous uh i think someone brought up the if you remember the wisconsin arizona state finish from five or six years ago do you remember that game wow where the where the refs like just basically walked away and the didn't let i think there was like a tackle and they they're trying to get up and spike the ball or something there was some weird ending i remember and with the timing of it and it was like, oh, that's Pac-12 reps. That's what you get. That's why. That's why you don't come and play a Pac-12 team. So why would a why would a quality program come out to to the Pac-12 to play a team because you know they'll just mess it up. The rest will mess something up. And then there's always been this kind of this notion that you know ever since Pete Carroll got USC to his heyday that you know at least among USC fans for sure that that there is the Pac-12 wrestler against USC and USC gets penalized more than other teams uh, and that's partly the discipline of the teams but then you have a game on Saturday where they get 18 penalties I mean uh, or last two weeks ago where they get 18 penalties over 100 yards uh, of penalties and that's even not including a couple that were you know declined so you look at that and some of them, and you look at some of the players, the players are like, man, that's, Iman Marshall said it was BS after the game, his pass interference call that would have, you know, he had an interception and it was called a pass interference that would have sealed the game. Uh, instead, you know, they call the penalty and suddenly Arizona gets the ball back inside the 10-yard line. So he calls it BS. And it was funny, he actually, last week when I talked to him, I was like, what happened on the interception? I was just asking about, you know, what did he see on the play? Yeah. You know, what, how was he kind of attacking it? He's like, it was a great call. You know, they, they have a tough job to do, and they met. So someone, someone, yeah. someone got to him and coached him up. Uh, so it's like, you know, the, the witness intimidation, apparently, <laughs> for Iman Marshall there. But, witness um, tampering. Yeah, witness tampering there. Uh, but you look at you know, the kind of the, the credibility of the Pac 12 refs, and, you know, they've been known as making mistakes, making mistakes. There's parody accounts, and that was brought up in it. The Glasses ref, the, the parody account about Pac 12 refs was in there. And, um, in the, the Pete Thamel story, and you started wondering if they are just that fed up. It's like, I'm tired. Like, we made the right, we're trying to make, the, we're trying to do this. We're trying to do this right here. And then you keep messing us up. And then they're like, all right, well, I'm just going to put this out there. Just slide this over to Yahoo real quick. Hey, guys, I don't know if you know this, but here, check this out real quick. And put it in their email, whatever it is. And, and what's crazy is in the story, apparently this was a big like in the refing community like it was like there was chatter in the refing community which the fact that there's a refing community is hilarious to me not hilarious why is that hilarious not okay i understand that if you're gonna have a profession you're gonna have a community i just i don't know i just the sports information directors talk to each other the reporters talk to each other the players talk sure, to each other. Of course, but like is there like a, a ref group chat or something i don't know i hope so I really <laughs> that's hope what so. i'm just saying i think it's it's fun to think about you call that targeting nah <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't let me <laughs> yeah but like it, it forces the question, like, I, you thought it was ineptitude. You thought it was just like, okay, this is just bad. They're just bad refs. Now you're like, is this corruption? Like, is this, there's more to it. And the crazy part is that Mike Leach, after the USC game, actually mentioned Woody Dixon. You had the exact quote. What did he say? 
I don't have the exact quote oh. in front of me, but he, he said basically someone asked him about a later targeting call that was not called. Yeah, and, and that's the crazy part, too, the Port Augustine. So Port Augustine hits Gardner Minshew, probably should have been targeting there, was much more uh, of a um, clear-cut example of targeting, you know, with the launch and everything. And Mike Leach was asked about it after the game because that would have given them a first down, would have made a much closer field goal because USC, I think it was a couple plays later, was when they get the, the stop and force the field goal and block that. Uh, was asked about it, and he said, well, you're going to have to talk to Woody Dixon about that. It was like, why would the why would you have to talk about the general counsel? Now, maybe it's because that's the guy who hands out the fines. If the, if the coaches talk about it, maybe that's it. Uh, so maybe that's why he brought him up. That's my only possibility. I'm trying to play devil advocate there. Yeah, that's yeah, the only no. possibility. Or he just like knows that like hey, this guy's got a hand in everything. Which is crazy because if there's one coach in the Pac-12 who would let that slip, it's Mike Leach. Oh, definitely. So it's just ugh, this whole thing is so interesting. But this is a crazy story. But will anything come of it? <laughs> no. I know. Which of course is, not. I know I keep saying crazy. There's a crazy count at home. But like. Crazy, 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 crazy. Yeah. Okay. Casey and JoJo. Oh, what's that? Old school R&B. Come on. Oh, I'm oh sorry. God, so what young. year is that? 2002? Sorry, in second grade I wasn't listening to that song. You should have been listening to Casey and JoJo. Come okay. on. Um, but yeah, it's just insane. That's a new word. It's insane. Like, nothing's going to happen from this. The presidents control Larry Scott's job, essentially, and USC doesn't even have a president right now. And Larry Scott, Larry Scott was asked about this. Okay, so Larry Scott talked in a lot of circles. But l- listen to this one answer. So this, he was asked about, did he talk to the replay officials? He said, yes, I did. Do you feel that they were satisfied with the conversation you had with them, basically, is what he was asked. I believe they will be satisfied by it, yes. I haven't had a chance to preview exactly what we're doing, but the feedback I got was important feedback and come to these decisions. What? what? You're, you're talking in circles here. Like, he, he makes no sense. He, he said later, what I'm announcing today, I think, is the most significant, strong response that I can imagine at this stage. No, firing several people would be a much stronger response. You can't imagine that. You can't imagine that in your $4 million job that you're getting paid, that you're stuffing your pockets with. You can't imagine that at all. Come on. You have no imagination. All you see is dollar signs, I guess. You know, when you get that rich and you're just getting paid to do a terrible job, I guess you, you stop being able to have an imagination. RIP headphone users right now. <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. I wasn't expecting you to go off, but go off, Shotgun. Larry Scott is terrible at his job. And here's There's the thing. no other way to put it because he's the most he's the highest paid commissioner in the league. He considers himself a media exec because they have the Pac-12 networks. Well, you're if you were a media exec, you would have been fired several years ago because of how terrible the ratings are for the Pac-12 network. So don't call yourself something that you aren't. Don't give me this false crap about that. You're terrible at your job. Uh, the Pac-12 has been terrible, is on a decline. People are asking the question, should it become a Power 4? Or are we just going to cut the Power 5 out because the Pac-12 is, is falling behind? You look at scandals. Well, you got several schools. You have four schools currently in the FBI investigation for college basketball. You look at performance. Well, no one won their bowl games last year, and you had everyone out of the NCAA tournament. The two biggest sports, the two biggest money makers. Now, what Larry Scott will say is, well, Oregon State won the College World Series, and we won a lot of titles this year. Well, all those sports are sports that are played primarily on the West Coast. Yo, you won the water polo title. The Pac-12 is going to win the water polo title 95 out of 97 years. Technically, it's a different conference for, for water polo. It's still there's still a Pac-12 member school, so yes. he will count yes. it on his tally. Sure, yeah. Just because true. the MPSF doesn't mean he's not counting that as the Pac-12 championship. True, very true. And it, it, you know, it's all these sports that there's there's less participation and less money uh, involved for other programs, less money invested for other programs. Now, some some of those sports like volleyball is played across the country in different areas. You know, but. A lot of the championships are in other sports that your best championship was baseball. Now, baseball, congratulations to Oregon State. They got that title. The Pac-12 has not been very good in the College World Series. The, the, the Pac-12 has been pretty pretty bad recently. They've won a couple titles, but it's been a much declined from what they used to be when USC won 12 national championships, was winning every single year. Arizona State was in the College World Series every single year, it seemed like, for a while. Stanford had made a big run. You're not where you used to be, so every sport is kind of declining under him, and yet he's making over $4 million. And here's the thing. The thing that's crazy that it's also relevant to this week. In the Todd McNair trial, 
they were there was a ruling about the show cause penalty um, that basically banned Tom McNair from being hired as a coach for one year. And that was declared illegal in the state of California. Now, a part of that whole ruling, Larry Scott, for some unknown reason, decided to add his opinion and write to uh, Judge Schaller in his consideration. But Larry Scott said that it could threaten the NCAA membership of all four of the conference's California schools if there's a show cause penalty ban. But that's just crazy. No one asked him either. He's just like, I just want to put my opinion out there on this. The best thing, I love Judge Schaller. We, we go back, not really, but I just sat in his court for six weeks. He said the proposed testimony of Larry Scott is deemed inadmissible and is not considered. Basically like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you even writing to me, dude? I don't, I don't want your stuff. Yeah, but... Larry Scott should be fired. <sighs> I don't like to call for people's heads, but... You are running the conference into the ground, basically, and taking all the money with it. So that's basically what you see in like a Ponzi scheme is what he's running right now. I'm going to take all this money. You guys are going to go into the ground. That's basically what's happening in the Pac-12. It's it's bad. It is very bad. And this turned into a Larry Scott rant, but sometimes you need a Larry Scott rant. But any final news, any other news you think is worthy uh, for uh, develop this week? I mean, you're looking at the Pac-12 uh, – media days for basketball and Larry Scott's asked about two things, FBI investigation and <laughs> the, I guess you want to call it the corruption, potential corruption of this, uh, of the referees here, because y- you start wondering, okay, well, every bad call you're like, Oh, is someone behind that? Is someone actually saying, well, no, make sure that this happens in the game. Make sure this call gets made or whatever it is. Like, don't, don't let that – that's a targeting call. Don't let that player get ejected. Don't, no, that's not targeting. Because that's the, the targeting calls are the biggest thing, especially because targeting is in there for player safety. Exactly. If you're going to talk about player safety and you're like, no, that's not targeting. No, that guy can stay in the game. That's, un, that's absurd. It's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, at that point, do parents – like, could JT Daniels' parents, like, sue – I don't know. I mean, that'd be very tough to, to win that case, I think. But it, it, you've got to be outraged at it if you're a parent, you know, if particularly if you're JT's parents or even Gardner Minshew's parents. Yeah, and yeah. Us, like that they were these were two plays that happened that both should have been called targeting and neither one of them was. And one of them was reviewed, was determined by two people. Two independent referees that are supposed to be making these calls that, yeah, that's probably targeting. We could get him out there. No, 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 no untrained third party see here's the weird thing the jt daniels one was first do you think they didn't even bother with port augustine because it makes you wonder like the refs are like just throwing their hands up like in the in the booth like there's no other that if i even say something they're gonna be like they're gonna overrule it or you think okay well we got to make it up to them like it there's like it's not a fair call it's not yeah it's not a call just being made because of the call it's a made is it a call being made for a makeup or is it a call because oh we don't want people out of the game or you know what exactly is it you don't know and that's where all the the can of worms is opened up uh and and worms don't taste very good i mean you, you don't want to be eating the worms yeah no maybe gummy worms yes but chocolate covered worms i've had those ew that's weird. <laughs> Those are okay, but they don't come in a can. So anyway, the, the don't don't eat worms that come in a can. The thing about this though is that it's just it's everywhere. Every way you look at it, it's bad. There's no good takeaway from this. Yeah, it's a very bad look for the Pac-12, and once again, it's the person in charge you got to look at, right? I mean, who else is there? And the thing is, there's no reaction to it. It's like, well, I'm still gathering information here. It's only 12 hours away. But I think it's okay. I mean, we we talked about it. We're proud. It's a bad look, is basically what he said. It's a bad. It's a bad perception. So so I think we're just not going to do that anymore. And there's no punishments. Uh, yeah, he no said punishment. No puni- punishments for Woody Dixon. Yeah, is there? This was asked uh, of him. Is there going to be any sort of punishment for people involved, or just a change of policy? It's a change of policy. We'll have a chance to review with more time and think about other issues. But I'm confident there's no malintent or anything like that. And I take responsibility for our policy being what it is ultimately, and this ambiguity being there. I take responsibility for it, but it's okay. Whoopsie, whoopsie, guys. Sorry about that. Nothing's going to happen, but sorry about that. Whoops. <laughs> that's that's all you're getting out, of Larry Scott. I'm yeah. talking circles, running around in circles like a greyhound, and you're going to get no answers, and you're going to get no change. Agreed. It's not good. It takes almost an act of 
a, a higher being for there to be a change. You look at last year, USC has to play 12 straight games. You have the bye week, uh, or I mean not bye week, the, the Friday road games after a road game. It took until you, re- you basically destroyed your chances at the college football playoff because you had all your best teams do this, and they all lost. So you've given away all your chances at a college football playoff and that extra payoff that comes there by getting a team in. And then you're like, oh, well, I guess it probably would be good if we got those extra millions of dollars. So maybe we'll change the schedule to be more fair. Now you think of that. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with Larry Scott. Done yeah, right it's, I, I can't I mean, add I've been more. done with Larry Scott for a while, but I'm done with it for this topic. Moving on from Larry Scott. I'll try. Uh, <laughs> you'll try. Moving on to actual football. We're actually going to do a real segment. Heard it on the sidelines. What did you hear this week, Shotgun? Uh, one of the interesting things, I talked about Iman Marshall and his reaction after the, you know, his initial reaction after the uh, after the game against Arizona and that PI call was that it was BS. That's what he said. Uh, he said the refs stink, basically. He got co- coached up on it. And maybe that's somebody from, maybe it's Larry Scott's office. I said I was going to not go back to it, but I did. Shotgun. <laughs> maybe it's somebody from Larry Scott's, excuse me, USC, uh, Yes, we heard that a player is uh, very upset and said there was BS about our officiating. Make it change now. <laughs> and someone that went USC is like, hey, we can't be talking about the rest now. But apparently Michael Pittman did get the... I didn't the, know uh, Southern debutants work at the, the Pac-12 office. <laughs> no. and just, know. The, the sound effects and voices are all shotgun. I don't edit <laughs> any of this. <laughs> Never know where it's coming from. Um, but... You you look. Uh, Michael Pittman apparently didn't get the uh, the notification the that they're not allowed to talk to about the refs because uh, he was asked, you know, what do you do to address the penalties? And he said, he said uh, looking back on those, a lot of those were missed calls, bad calls. I know that watching the film, some of those calls were very nitpicky, and that crew didn't do the best job, to be honest with you. So Michael Pittman just said, yeah, they were trash. Basically, <laughs> he like he pulled up, he's like, shoots it from deep, LeBron from deep. Kobe? No, not Kobe. Kobe. LeBron. I'm repping LA. I have to. No. It's actually more like um, Kyle Korver. From deep. Korver. <laughs> no one says Korver. Um, I heard Ronnie. The Creighton folks say Kyle Korver. Sure. I heard uh, Mr. Ronnie Bradford. He was not particularly pleased with the defensive backs on Wednesday. Uh, there was a period during the seven on seven practice period where. USC's defenders just got pretty much lit up. There were three consecutive touchdowns, definitely missed assignments, uh, and Ronnie Bradford just threw his his uh, his coaching script, threw his hat. He was not happy, barely talked with anyone, uh, kind of retreated on the sideline, and then after practice was over, Ronnie Bradford chewed out the DBs. Like, it was a, a stern talking to, and I hadn't really heard a coach do that after practice in a while, and so Br- Ronnie Bradford definitely was not happy. The DBs, didn't really want to talk. Uh, Talano Hufungo was nice enough to stay, but I tried to talk to Elon Marshall, and uh, he was just like, I got to go. I got to go. Uh, Isaiah Langley, I got to go. And they all just wanted to kind of out, but someone was able to grab Isaiah at the close to the gate. But not the best performance you want for your DBs um, right before you're going to go face Steven Montez um, and a powerful wide receiver in uh, LaVisca Chenault. So, LaVisca <laughs> Chenault. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he should be the next Venom, too. Always scared everyone in their car. You're like <laughs> responsible for like two accidents. Uh, <laughs> also behind the curtain, Shotgun's been doing that all day. <laughs> I a good think, name for a venom voice. I know. I think that's more of like a cheese and wine pairing, like <laughs> <laughs> sweetest cheese of like Laviska with your like dry Chenault. I don't. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's what I heard on the sidelines. <laughs> But the thing with LaVisca Chenault is actually playing like he's got an alien symbiote because he is playing out of this world right now. Indeed. Wow, I just put that together. That was really good, actually. Wait, you world, saved alien it. Symbiote. Bam, killed it. Uh, championship. LaVisca uh, Chenault is actually the highest rated player in the Pac-12 this season uh, amongst starters. And there's a couple guys that got like three plays and they're rated higher on pro football focus. But he's the highest rated player at 91.9 is overall grade. He is the highest rated receiver in the country. He has the most receiving yards per game, I believe. He is third in, in receiving yards, the most of the Power Five, but the two players above him are uh, a kid from UMass, a kid from Hawaii, who both have played in seven games. He's played in five. I mean, he is straight balling. Balling. 
So he's he's the guy that USC has to pay attention to. He has been, you know, he, he can do it deep. He's five of six on, on deep ball targets. He can do it short. They'll line him up in the Wildcat. They'll run jet sweeps with him. They'll try to get the ball in his hand any way they can because he has been an absolute playmaker for them. And obviously – he should be carrying an alien symbiote in the next Venom movie. LaVisca. What does that even Shmout. mean? <laughs> Venom is an alien symbiote. That's what. What's a symbiote? Symbiote is, is a is kind of like a parasite attaches to uh-huh. a host. Randall Grimes was doing his best LaVisca impression today or this week during a scout team, and he makes a pretty good LaVisca. He had a pretty successful week. I think that's the most we've seen from Randall Grimes so far in a practice. Yeah, they, they were using him and also Pi Young at different times uh, to kind of simulate what the defense should look for uh, with, when LaVisca is in the game. Uh, so he's going to be lined up in so many different places. They were using him you know, for some of the deep routes, some of the, the routes over the middle and stuff. Uh, they were using Randall Grimes for that, for more of the scat back stuff that you'll see from, uh, from LaVisca. Stop. And, uh, <laughs> Just stop doing it. <laughs> they used Pi Young for that. But yeah, Randall Grimes had a really really nice day on Tuesday, especially. He was catching everything over the middle. Even uh, So maybe that's why Rodney Bradford was mad on Wednesdays because of <laughs> what Randall Grimes was able to do on Tuesday. Uh, Keely is about to lose it over there. <laughs> I am. I'm losing it. We're a little slap happy today. I don't know why, but it's a it's, it's a good slap time. happy. It's just me normally. That's true. I'm delirious. Um, that might be true. As far as Colorado goes, this is a five zero team. First time under Mike McIntyre. How do you evaluate this team? Their schedule it wasn't hasn't been the best in hindsight. UCLA and Nebraska aren't very good. How do you evaluate this team? You evaluate them based off this game. This is the game to to look and see what this team can do. Um, you know they have weapons with LaVisca they have uh, Trayvon McMillan the, the running back Steven Montez is a much different quarterback than what USC saw two years ago if you remember he replaced Cephalufo that's who it was uh, I couldn't remember the name but replaced, another great name another, yeah it's true it re- replaced him in the middle of the game and then actually led uh, Colorado back in that game if I remember correctly that was the Sam Darnold game where he fumbled one play uh, he also fumbled and picked the ball up, and then that's the Darius Rogers game. Rolled all around and threw the ball to Tyler Petit. If you remember that play, which is kind of one of the quintessential Sam Darnold that USC plays. True. Um, and you know where he fumbles, still picks it up and figures out a way to to complete a touchdown pass. But also the Darius Rogers catch. So that game was you know Montez led them back, and and they had were in contention for that game before the Darius Rogers catch kind of sealed it. Uh, and, and you know was able to snatch that one away. Snatch. Um, so this is a team that's going to come in. They've never beat USC, so you know they're fired up for that. Colorado really recruits the LA area well, uh, pretty well, so you know there's players from uh, LA that want to make their mark, as there are with all Pac-12 schools. You know everyone recruits the Southern California area, but Colorado in particular. Uh, Terrence Lang, who was committed to USC, um, you know at the last minute USC didn't have room. They wanted him to. to blue shirt or gray shirt i can't remember gray shirt uh he ends up going to colorado he's been in there rotation on the defensive side um so there's players that want to prove themselves against usc um so this is their opportunity and they want to show that hey we're a real team um and beating usc even if it's a three and two usc is still uh impactful on the national scale so colorado's trying to make their mark in this game colorado seems to be a second half team and they seem to make good adjustments uh USC, on the other hand, does not seem to be a second-half team. Is this a, a storm in the making? I mean, you saw last year USC got up really big, and then Colorado storms back, and USC finds a way to win. Uh, but it could be the same type of thing. I mean, we did our predictions. I said it, might, it could be 28-6 to six or something, and then USC you know, USC could be up 28-6, and then suddenly it's 28-26 at the end of the game. You never know with this team. I mean, you saw that with – in the Arizona game, it was 24 nothing. All of a sudden, it's 24-20. This is a, a team that hasn't been able to put teams away. And with Colorado, the way they've been able to play, you could see that kind of that collision course uh, of things could be happening. But we also could see USC is a team that doesn't get turnovers and Colorado doesn't turn the ball over. And you could see the complete opposite, you know, because you're like, oh, well, they do. You know, that's the thing with college football. You think you know what's going on, and then it's like, well, that was completely different than I expected. So uh, we'll see how, how, how they do in this game. Colorado's defense, they have a really good linebacker core with Nate Landman and uh, Mustafa Johnson coming off the edge uh, or in the middle as well um, in front of Nate Landman. But, you know, there are some quality defenders in the middle of their defense. I think you get 
past the linebacker group and you get to the safeties in the middle of the field, that's where you have to attack if you're USC. So they have good good uh, interior defense alignment and good linebackers up the middle, but if you can get past that line, they have some young safeties and their safeties have not been very good. So that's where I think USC has to attack. Maybe it's an Amon Ra type of game uh, where you try to attack with a slot receiver and, and get him open over the middle, Valus Jones as well. Maybe even with the way their safeties have played this this season, and a little bit I've seen, but also just looking at the grades and stuff that they've graded out, I might go with more four wide receiver sets and try to attack with the two inside receivers a little bit more. Yeah. Um, or maybe we'll see the tight ends. You never know. Maybe the tight end will will make a catch over the middle. You know, we haven't really seen that what? yet. What's, what's that, Chuck? I'm, I'm I know someone, sure. that was one of the questions we got is, where the F are the tight ends? <laughs> And the answer is not in the middle of the field. 2016, that was the tight end game. All three touchdowns, I believe, were scored by uh, Taylor McNamara, McNamara and Tyler Petit. So, yeah, Tyler Petit loves the mountain teams. He's got two touchdowns against uh, Colorado in that game. I think he had two touchdowns against Utah last year. So his biggest games are coming against the mountain team. So we'll see if it's a it's the third time's the charm for him uh, to get three touchdowns instead of just two. Um, if Stephen Carr is still somehow sick for Saturday, do you change the game plan as far as running goes? It seems like it's, they're going to air it out anyways. But how do you how do you change the dynamic with said and, and Vi? I don't even know if we've told people that Stephen Carr. We was, haven't, but there you have it, people. <laughs> Stephen Carr was out yesterday with the illness. You know the the mysterious illness that continues to plague USC and <sighs> take pull down someone every week. It seems like. But the thing with the illnesses is that everyone has come back. No one's missed any games because of illness. True. So I would say he'd probably be back. And I don't think you change the game plan because you have three guys and they've been using those three guys consistently. I think it actually might even help when they have one of the guys nicked up and they decide to use two of them more yeah. prevalent than the others. Now, it's been that Vi has been the guy that has got less carries than the other guys, has played a little bit less, uh, but they, you know, they've all been, it's been pretty much an average. Alcacetic Ware usually gets 30 to 35 plays. Uh, Stephen Carr gets 20, 25 to 30, and then Vi is usually around 20, a little bit underneath 15 to 20. So that's kind of been the 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 breakdown of those three guys and their percentage of, of plays. Um, so I, I think if one of the guys is, is out or is not ready to go, then I think the other two just fill in for them. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Shall we get into questions that we got from our listeners? Sure. Uh, I like questions. Send buddy, us your questions at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Nice plug there, Shaka. <laughs> plug it. Uh, our buddy Jackson in Virginia, who's emailed us quite a lot, we appreciate it, Jackson. He says stock up for the podcast, but it's always been good. So stock neutral? <laughs> no. Yes, I agree with you, Jackson. Uh, he says anyway. I keep hearing about Clay Helton's home undefeated home record, which is great. On that same token, I hear complaints about his away record. First off, doesn't every coach have a better home record? Yes. Uh, second, I wanted to know if you guys had any insight into perhaps why they have looked so poor away from home. Is it preparation? What can coaches do? Is it a mental thing? Is a lot of it just having to travel and are not surrounded by the home crowd? Love to hear your thoughts. I, I think it's kind of a confluence of, of several factors for USC. I think this team doesn't necessarily have the killer instinct, so they haven't been able to put teams away. You look at the Arizona game, you look at Colorado last year, uh, you you have that. You're in a tougher environment so that obviously plays into it a bit, and especially if it's a Texas environment. Not an Arizona environment, but a Texas environment. You know, when they blocked the field goal, that place is going crazy, and you knew the game was over. You could see it on the sidelines with USC. You could feel it in the entire stadium. USC didn't have the answer. And I think that's part of the thing, too, is that USC – there's not someone on the team that you know there's not a Dory Jackson that can you know turn the game around with one play um, there's not someone that that's a momentum shift changer uh, and they haven't been able to swing the momentum in these games when they when things start piling on it snowballs on them and they it starts rolling down a hill and it becomes an avalanche rather than you know something that they can overcome so I, I think that they they've had issues with that and maybe that's partly leadership um, if it's it's partly that they don't have a true playmaker that you know an explosive playmaker like that they have a lot of playmakers but you know someone who just changes the game on their own uh, and they just haven't had the, the the balls bounce their way with a tip pass or something that you take back for a pick six or something like that to to kind of help them out so I, I think it's partly that it's partly you know being away from home and, and just it's a little bit different environment as far as your preparation and stuff but I think mostly it's the 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 leadership on the team and not being able to overcome some adversity on the road and when they've had adversity like the Arizona game I think Arizona ran out of time more than USC finished that game off so I, I think that you know if they had a little bit more time I think they probably come back in that one USC at home you have comfortability 
or comfort. Comfortability is not a word. I try to use it a lot, but it's not a word. <laughs> they have comfort. Um, you are used to your surroundings. You have you know everyone cheering you on. You you get you get boosted by the home crowd more than necessarily you, you get you know thrown off by the away crowd unless you have a crowd like Texas that's one hundred three thousand and then you're trying to figure out the signals. And then you have the mess up on the goal line on the fourth down because someone doesn't get the call right. Those type of things happen on the road. Can you overcome them? That's the problem. I don't think USC has been able to overcome when things are going against them. Yeah, I think it's a combo of a lack of mental toughness and a lack of strong leadership. And I think in a weird way, USC's crowd is like a, a 12th player in the sense that it's like a weird like omnipresent leader where like if USC is kind of feeling down no one's really going to say anything on the team but if you have a team cheering for you it kind of helps you I I just think that that maybe incites a little more action on the sideline whereas when you don't have anyone cheering for you away or someone booing you I mean I've heard a lot of away fans heckling the team trying to get them to say something or do something it's crazy but if you have guys booing at you you're not going to be all rowdy if you don't have that mental toughness or leadership so I think it's a bit of both. I always liked it more being an opposing crowd. I like my favorite sport was basketball because the fans were right on top of you. So like everything is being yelled at you. You're hearing people. You can feel people's breath on your back, of your neck. That type of atmosphere. I love that. And I don't know that there's a lot of players on this team that have that same mentality. I feel like there's some of them that prefer. I would rather be at home. I'd rather have that instead of having you know instead of having that Kobe type of mentality where I want to go to their place and I want to shove it right in their face. You know, so I think that that's, you know, partly, partly the kids you recruit and, you know, the, the kids with the killer instinct. We talked about that last week. You know, how many kids on this team have that killer instinct? I don't know. It's kind of a question mark. You don't have a big core of, of guys that are, you know, you have a lot of good guys. You have a lot of guys that are hard workers and that stuff. But I don't know that there's a lot of guys with that killer instinct. I don't know. It's just something's missing. The dynamic is a little off in that sense. Uh, we have another question from Richard from Husky Country, a.k.a. Shotgun's imaginary friend from the train. <laughs> yes. What's up, Richard? Yeah. Um, so, shouts to Richard. He he actually does exist. I have to admit it. He's not imaginary. He says, what's going on with JT in the deep pass? It seems like he has a habit of underthrowing them. Is this a chemistry issue or just something that he needs to work through? There's some different things. Uh, for example, the throw he had to Michael Pittman that was underthrown when Michael Pittman was beyond the defense early in the second quarter I want to say um, first quarter and he underthrows him on that one he actually did a nice job of moving out of the pocket and moving to his left but he because of the pressure in front of him he couldn't throw the ball earlier and because of that he didn't have I don't think he necessarily had the arm to get it out there because because he's moving to his left and then trying to throw set his feet and throw so there's been several situations like that I think he he doesn't want to he's of the mindset that I would rather throw it up and underthrow a guy and make and force him to go make a catch rather than overthrow him and not him not have a chance for it so that's the thing you never want to overthrow a deep guy that's open that's like the worst sin that you can have as a quarterback um besides throwing it to the other team but <laughs> Uh, on deep balls, you want to you want to be able to give your guy a chance at least. And with guys like Michael Pittman and with Tyler Vons, they can go up and catch the ball. And a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown who does such a good job up in you know controlling the ball when he's up in the air. Yeah, I think that that's kind of his philosophy. Now, obviously, you want to get those out there and give your guys a chance. And you saw in the Washington State game, he underthrew some, and they got pass interference calls on him because USC's getting guys behind the defense. You know, you just got to figure out a way to connect on them. And it, it helps out a lot more when you connect on a 40-yard pass and you hit him in stride and he takes it to the house rather than, oh, you got a 15-yard penalty in the first down. Good job, but it's not quite the same. How much of that is also just chemistry with JT and and, and Michael Pittman? Because I feel like Michael Pittman does this thing where suddenly he's like, and granted it's hard if it's thrown, uh, not thrown in your stride, but he does this weird like basket catch thing where some of them I think are, are more catchable than – Pittman realizes like how much is that is just repetition of trying to get it with going against your first team defense I think it's partly that I think it's getting used to where the ball is going to be and I think that's something that we've seen progress a little bit so you know if you're expecting the ball out in front of you versus you know if you have to come back and catch it and going up to try to catch it with your hands those type of things I think it's a work in progress and I think Michael Pittman even said something to the effect he said that uh, you know that it feels like it's little things, little things, little small things here, and then suddenly it's just going to be like, bam, and the offense is going to be good. 
And that's that's how he kind of termed it. Is, Bam, there it is. A little Emerald Lagasse there. Uh, so so I, I think that it's, it's something that they're working on and something that, that will continue to, to be a uh, progression through the season. But, yeah, I think if you're going against – you have true competition periods one-on-one, then I think it, that you'll, you see uh, that happen a little bit more. And they do. They do the one-on-ones. They go up against – you know, you have straight – you know, Tyler Vaughn's going against Iman Marshall and – um, you know, Michael Pittman going against Isaiah Langley and stuff like that. So I, I think that they try that stuff, but I, I think getting the, the game reps are, are always an extra benefit and, you know, having game-like situations in practice more than just scout team helps out. Speaking of one-on-ones and in, in seven-on-seven, I know I don't I know USC maybe not, doesn't have the enough money to do this since it's expensive. But if you don't have refs during those portions, like how much of that those segments could you potentially learn bad habits that don't get corrected? Obviously, that's the coach's job, but I, we don't really see a lot of correcting on like hand placement and and holding or something like that. Because like Isaiah Langley had a three interception day on Tuesday, but a lot of that he was holding on a lot of the jersey. So how much of those portions, if you're not doing the correct uh stuff is are you just learning bad habits i mean it depends on if you're getting called for those in games i mean isaiah langley's been called for one holding i believe so you know if you get called for it once and you get a you're getting away with it in the games then do you really need to correct it because that's a, just you're just uh, added bonus to your skill set that you're able to get away with the penalties because getting away with penalties is a skill in of itself yeah. in and of itself like Amon Ra St. Brown's ability to give a little bit of an, an arm, you know, extend his arm just a little bit uh, from the elbow down to create space is is a huge benefit because that creates a small window right at the end of his routes, and it's something where he doesn't have to be wide open all the time because he can create that. And if you can get away with that, then it's just a part of your, your route running. So uh, there's small things like that. You know, if you're a cornerback and you're able to hold, and you know you, you're able to hold your hands in tight, or if you're, you know, an offensive lineman, an offensive lineman holds on every single play. That's their job. You try to get in your hands underneath their their shoulder pads, right at the armpits, and hold on underneath that. And now you you try to keep your elbows in. So as you're pushing the guy, your elbows are in and you're pushing, rather than if your elbows get out, then it shows the referee that you're holding on to the guy and the guy pulls you in a direction. That, that's the difference. So that's getting away with a penalty. It's a skill. Um, so it, I think that's something that you have to work on. You have to work on the things where you're going to try to get away with stuff. But it's something that if you're getting called for in the game, that's when you have to realize, okay, I'm not doing it well enough. I have to, you know, I have to do whatever we're working on. we got to do it better. Yeah, and and to be fair, Biggie has spent the last two weeks with mitts on his hands during the whole practice, so maybe that's trying to correct that. But how much of that is actually Biggie's fault? I don't know. Our friend Joan, a.k.a. the mom of our intern, Chloe, whose last name is really hard to say and I can't say. Christianopolis? Yeah, <laughs> that's close. She says, would you guys address the lack of clear leadership and the lack of discipline on this team and how that affects the team's confidence in play? They seem to not have any cohesive message about who they are and how they play, and that usually comes from a lack of leadership. I completely agree with that. Yes. I think we touched on that some when we were talking about you know their road woes, uh, is that and it's not just the leadership of Clay Helton, because I think Clay Helton does – but as much as he can as far as that, uh, as far as being a leader and, and those type of things, I just don't think that he has put the right, necessarily put the right people around him that have the same message as him um, or even the right people to tell him that, hey, we need to practice in pads, that type of thing. Um, I, I think as far as just being a leader of men, that type of thing, I think Clay's doing a great job. As far as leading the team and doing things that will help uh, help escalate their play, I think that's where they're struggling at. And then on the team itself, they have some really good leaders, Cam Smith and Porter Gus and those guys. And, but I just don't know. I just don't think that there is the right collection of leaders, if that makes sense. And the fact that I think that those guys are really good lead by example guys, but you need that screamer. Like there, there needs to be like of your four captains. I, I would like, you kind of have to put together a captain boy band uh, of, <laughs> Yeah, you need the you need the lead by example guy who doesn't say anything. It's the you know the works out all the time, whatever it may be. You need the screamer. You need, you need like certain you know roles for those captains uh, to be. Uh, you, you need the guy that can quietly go over and like you know console someone. Like you need like a a, a collection of guys that that work together to lead the team 
rather than necessarily like, okay, well, these are our four best players, so then it, they will be the guys, they'll be the captains. Uh, but then, but who, if you were to able to do that for this team? I don't know that it's on this team. Yeah. I think that might be part of the problem. Um, you know, sometimes it is just there's a senior leadership, you know, they have a council or whatever it is, but, you know, sometimes you have – nine or ten guys and those are your leaders now they might not all be captains but those are the guys that go and talk to people those are the guys that say hey this is not acceptable you know you're not going to class is not acceptable that type of thing rather than i i don't like to harken back to my days too much Uh, you always call me out on it so i try not to uh but my freshman year of baseball like the in college the seniors on the team didn't care they like they were like as soon as the game ended we lost bad somebody was like all right which party are we going to and we were terrible that year. We had some talent, but we were terrible. The next year, we were okay. But by our senior year, we, had, it, we our group had been fed up with that, that we didn't allow that type of behavior. So there were guys that wanted to party and stuff, but that wasn't allowed to be talked about necessarily in the locker room at that, you know, right after a game or something. That was something you better text somebody about to find out about later. See, I don't think the problem is – I think the defense is fine. I think there's defensive leadership – uh, I think even guys who aren't captains, I think a JNA is a, a quiet leader. I think Marvel Tell also is too. I think that group is fine. As far as offensive leadership, I don't think there's anything there. Besides Toa, yes. But he's not a vocal guy. He said it himself. He's not. So where do you go from there? I think that might be where all the issues are coming from. Because yeah. if this offense is quite capable of putting points up, if this offense was more consistent, and it's the same thing that Helton has talked about, that T. Martin's talked about, that Brian Ellis has talked about, the players are talking about, if we just get more consistent, I think part of that is that they don't have that person on the offensive side to rally everybody up and say, it's unacceptable, we got to do this, or to bring people up, like, hey, whatever it may be, they don't have that the exact leadership. Whereas if this offense was more consistent, the defense is doing enough. Yeah. The defense is fine. They're not great, but they're doing enough. And you would give them more rest, for one. They'd be on the sideline a little bit more. You'd have more consistent drives. You know, you'd be able to build things like that rather than, you know, there, there'll be a nine-play drive and a touchdown and an eight-play drive and 64 yards, you kick a field goal, and then you have three straight three and outs. It's like just, the consistency is not there with this group, and I think that that hampers the entire team. And if the offense was playing better and the offense is putting up 35 or 40 points a game, then you're not talking about – a lot of these I mean you're in a close game with Texas at the very end you beat Stanford and you're four and one or five and oh it's just the offense has not been consistent and you know they feel like they're almost there like like I said with Michael Pittman earlier he said we're just little thing little thing little thing and then boom we'll be there but is that going to happen I don't know if they have the the guys to make sure that happens I don't know if they have the leaders to make sure that happens on that side of the ball and that's been the case the last couple of years one one captain on offense the last two years and you've seen that it's been that way for the last two years the thing that bothers me is that we hear from almost everyone on the offense the things is we need to be more consistent and it's just the little things once we do that and to me those buzzwords point back to practice and has anything changed from practice no so if you're not doing those things, if you're not consistent, you're not doing the little things, and you've changed nothing in practice, what are you? How is this suddenly going to happen? Like they'd like to develop over the course of like through games. Like Clay Helton even said, like we'll be a better team in November. Sure, but are you doing anything in practice that can like rapidly speed that up? And the thing is, like your young guys should get better as the season progresses. They should really, really be a lot different at, at the end of the season. Their offensive line is besides. Uh, you know, Austin Jackson and Andrew Voorhees are, are sophomores, but they both got playing time last year. It's an older group. It's just not not getting the job done consistently enough. And that's something with practice. But I think that's also, you know, how many times have we, have we heard over the last couple of years talking about, you know, Cam Smith said he talked to Clay Helton after the, you know, after the Arizona game. Clay Helton came to him. They had a one-on-one conversation. Chris Hawkins last year going and talked to Clay Helton. Have we heard an offensive guy say, Coach, we probably need we got to do something different. We're we're doing these small things and we feel like we're almost there, but we got to do something different to change it up to to be able to get there. I mean, credit Doc Cedric Ware for actually saying something, but did he get punished for that? Like No, he did not. I talked to him about it actually about the knee injury he had. He had actually an LCL injury oh. uh, where he got fell on and kind of got twisted sideways uh, in the Texas game. So, I got to the bottom of it. But then why have that linger? 
not you. <laughs> you gave me this look. Why? Why? Why couldn't Helton just say that? I don't know. I don't know. Well, there you have it. <laughs> uh, we have a question from Ald Alden Man, who says, "From your perspective, engaging of temperature of Heritage Hall, will there likely be shotgun? Hold your restraint. Will there likely be or not changes to the coaching staff, specifically at O line and offensive coordinator?" I mean, I think that's well, if the season progresses as to where it is right now. So if in the next five games, USC is six and four, then, then yeah, I think that, that there will be pressure above Clay Helton to make some changes if it's not. And Dan Weber said this, if you don't make changes, then the change will be you. I think Dan, Dan said yes, that. Yes, he did. Um, so that there will be change made if USC is six and four or seven and five or whatever, there will be change made. Now the question becomes, does Clay Helton get to make that change? If not, he might be the one being changed. So uh, if Lin Swan comes to him and says, hey, we got to change something. Something has to be different. I think that's where you have to look. Uh, I think the offensive line right now is not performing as well as it could. Uh, so that would be the first place to look. And then you have to start looking at other places potentially as well. Agreed. Jack Moore says, why wouldn't the USC coaches have used the bye week to get more practice for JT Daniels? He's a freshman quarterback who came in the fall. If anything, that time could have been used to get him more work. I just don't get it. Hey, if he's got a shoulder injury, then you're not going to push him because then you're, you're stuck with, uh, with Matt Fink and Jack Sears. And Jack Sears was injured this week with a back injury. So you have one scholarship quarterback. You don't want that. You obviously don't if, – if J.J. Daniels won the competition, you want him to be your quarterback. So you want him to be healthy, uh, especially with shoulder injuries. You, you want to make sure that, you know, that uh, the arm is taken care of during the, uh, during the uh, bye week when you can. But that was never officially said. He said his arm was tired. But you can't just say that there was a shoulder injury. If your arm is tired, it's your shoulder. Your elbow doesn't get tired. I'm like, oh, man, my elbow's tired. But they're just saying, oh, we're giving him rest. Yeah, because his arm was tired. Throwing a lot of balls. I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I actually was watching the reps between JT and Matt Fink this week, and it was a little, a little sus, as the kids say, suspicious, <laughs> suspect. I, th I think they rested JT still a lot this week. There yeah. were times where he was rested, and I was like, that normally doesn't happen. So, with a quarterback, if you do, if you don't, if your arm doesn't feel healthy. It's tough for you from, for you to make the throws you normally make, and so then becomes an accuracy issue, and then becomes an arm strength issue. Getting deep balls down the field, yeah. you know, all those things come into play if your shoulder's not feeling well. You don't hear about it a lot, but quarterbacks go through like dead arm periods. They go through all that same stuff that that pitchers go through as who as well. Uh, it's just a little bit different throwing motion. You use your body a little bit more. Uh, but sometimes you can't use your body at all, whereas a pitcher, you always can use your body. We have a question from Anthony, a little snarkily. He says, USC has no one that can cover LaVisco, right? LaVisco. <laughs> no. Chanel. USC, yeah, you could put Iman Marshall on him. You could put him. You could have him shadow him. That's a possibility. You might just try to do some different things with coverage. You, know, you could shadow him and then have a safety over the top. And you, if you do those things, look to see if USC tries to double team and take him out of the game. How does how does it, Colorado try to attack uh, with the other receivers? Do you you know if you move Lavisca to one side of the the formation, do you have crossing routes coming underneath where he's at or stuff like that? So uh, I, I think how they defend him is going to be a a defense effort. It's going to be a team effort. I don't think they're just going to put one guy over there and be like you're. I don't think Iman Marshall is going to say. You're on the island. You guard him the entire game. I think they're gonna. It's gonna be more of a collective effort to try to guard him. Lavisca. Clancy Pendergrass has been pretty good at limiting the the thing of an offense. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. How do you think you approach that this way? I know you just went into it, but how do you think if you're Clancy Pendergrass, how do you shut this down? I mean, a similar Sean Poindexter didn't do too much against USC from Arizona. You um, know, V, the quarterback got some runs but it was pretty much to make sure they don't they stop the quarterback runs lexington thomas had one long run but he didn't do much else in that game stanford he took away jj arcega whiteside for the most part if i remember correctly he didn't he had what three catches for like 30 or 40 yards yeah they just when they happened they hurt but yeah <laughs> so i mean i don't think there was anything special in those regards i think that 
you just had the safety over the top, and maybe you play more two high than one high. Maybe you don't blitz as much. I mean, there's different things you can do. Um, but the thing with LaVisca is that how much that Colorado moves him around. That's going to be – so you can't just say, okay, well, he lines up on the left every single time, so we're going to have a safety over the top. Like you can with some receivers. You can do that. But like Clay Helton likes to talk about with, with if they do with Juju and Marquise Lee and Robert Woods and those guys, is they move him around. They'll put him in the slot. They'll, they'll move him wherever to try to get those different matchups. So I think that's what the one thing that USC's secondary has to do is every single play is where is number two? Where is number two? Where's LaVisca? And that's something that Clancy Pendergast, I'm not, I'm not giving you the, the joy of that anymore. LaVisca. That's something that Clancy Pendergast actually said yesterday is that it's, it's difficult because they move him around. You can't just account for him in one uh, position. Finally, Mr. Gunn, mm-hmm. our friend Joan wants to know, is Colorado going to win? <sighs> I'm going to say no. It's going to be 28-26, like I said. USC up 28-6, and then Colorado scores 20 straight points. Or maybe 20-18, to 21-18, something like that. So USC wins, but it's close. It's close? Because USC wins at home. USC beats the teams they're supposed to beat. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think they'll win this game. I think because we haven't really seen Colorado be tested yet and USC's at home, that's the only, the only real reason is because USC's at home. But I don't think USC loses. I mean, that's not the only reason, but... It's the only reason I'm saying. Oh. Okay. I don't know this team. I don't know. I, I don't know either of these teams. Who are they? I don't know. Who like who is USC going to beat this week? How are they going to hurt themselves? Are they going to be the good USC, the bad USC? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The well, mid be, USC? They'll probably be both. Be one half of good USC, one half of bad USC. This is that's what they're most frequently. You know what they could be? Stock neutral. There's no such thing. <laughs> It's right there. You said good and bad. You know what no, happens they'll go when you up say that. And then they'll come back down. Whatever. What was I'm, that? <laughs> Stop <laughs> saying that. <laughs> anyway, any final thoughts before we wrap up this podcast? I think that's about it. I mean, I'm just looking forward to the, the sequel of Venom with Lavisca Chenault Jr. Jr. doesn't really work there, so can't <laughs> no, put that one in. It does not. I just This is so bad. <laughs> So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to, to Saturday to see which USD team comes out and if USC has improved at all during their bye week. I mean, from what we saw, you know, teams coming off bye weeks usually are much better than the team that's facing them that hasn't had a bye week. So but here's the thing with USC though. If that's the question. That's they why they haven't hit in full pads. That's like why I'm interested to see. In two weeks, by the time they play Colorado, they should be super healthy. I think they're going to be slow. Slow. Like they're going to slow to come out the gate. Just give the ball to Valus. He's fast. Valus. But, like, I think USC will do their thing where they have their script, drive down the field. I think they'll settle with a, for a field goal, and then Colorado will come back and score. Wow, you've got the whole I have the script game planned out Mike here. Mike Leach, I got the script. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so there you have it. That's my prediction. Not what actually will happen in the game. Yeah, well, actually, what will happen What you predict in the never happens. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm bad at predicting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's going to wrap it up for uh, an unusual podcast, unorthodox. We went off our little script a little bit, but we'll be back to normalness. We'll we'll see if USC can go off their script. Ooh. You're just tying everything together. Flip the script. There you go. Uh, that's y'all comes friendly. I'm the script for Venom too. Is this like an ad? Like, have you been paid by Venom for this? (laughs) Like, what is this? He is my favorite uh, villain of all time. Not the Joker? Nope. Weird. All right. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.